The following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. It was preached on Sunday, February 9th, 2020, on the basis of 1 Peter 2, verses 9 through 12. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. Very often, you might hear something that causes a single word to instantly pop into your head. There are times, of course, when you first meet someone or perhaps you're getting to know someone and you learn things about them that don't really produce any sort of strong reaction one way or another. But there are, of course, exceptions to that. For example, let's say someone is telling you about the job that they have. And instead of telling you that they're something like an engineer or an accountant, they instead tell you that they are an IRS auditor or a full-time professional YouTuber, for example. What might be the first word that would pop into your head? What if they're telling you about some of their interests and some of their hobbies, and instead of telling you about their favorite sports team or the gym where they work out, they instead tell you about their very strongly held political convictions. They tell you that they're a Republican, or they tell you that they're a Democrat. What is the very first word that instantly pops into your head? Or let's say they're telling you what their last name is or a little bit about their family history, and very quickly you realize that their family history and your family history kind of have a lot in common and have shared a lot of experiences and not really good ones. There might be a whole set of choice words that instantly pop into your head. But what about when someone finds out that someone else is a Christian. 30 years ago, that might not have produced any sort of strong reaction in someone, either positive or negative, but but how about in February of 2020, in the United States of America, when someone finds out that someone else is a Christian, what do you think is the very first word that pops into their head? Some of the answers that might be running through your mind right now might be the reason why you are tempted to treat that area of your life the same way that you would treat it if you were, in fact, an IRS auditor or a full-time professional YouTuber. Some of those answers might be the reason why you kind of take that part of your life and you sort of keep it hidden. You sort of keep it to yourself. And yet it doesn't have to be that way. For the past few weeks, we've been talking about how God's word, the message of the gospel, the message of Jesus is is sort of like this light that goes out into the world. And today we're going to see that the message of God's word sort of does what light is designed to do. It, It attracts. It has a beauty and a splendor to it that draws people in. And so when we think about the fact that some people are in the light and some people still remain in the darkness, we're going to see today that God wants to use people like us to spread his light in the world. He very much does not want us to keep that part of our life, our faith, our identity as Christians hidden and secret. In fact, as you heard Jesus say, he wants us to let that light shine. And in order for that to be the case, Peter is going to tell us in these words that there actually is one word that we should really, really want people to think. One word that we should want to pop into people's minds when they hear that word Christian. One word that we should actively work for people associating with us. One word that we should absolutely own and embrace 
As we look at these words that are in front of us today, Peter's encouragement to us will be this, that when people hear the word Christian, they ought to instantly think strange. In fact, that was one of the very first words that came to Peter's mind as he sat down to write this letter to these Christians. In the very first verse of the entire book, he referred to those Christians as exiles, as people who are out of place in our world, as people who are, are not at home, who are living in a foreign land, as people whom the rest of the world will often perceive as strange. There are all kinds of reasons for that to be true in Peter's day. If we're tempted to think that, that people's impressions of Christians in our day is sort of negative, do you know what people thought of Christians in Peter's day? Because most people believe in a, believed in a whole set of different gods and because Christians rejected all of those pagan gods, people actually considered Christians to be atheists. Because Christians talked about their fellow Christians, including the Christians who were their spouses, as their brothers and sisters, people actually thought Christians were involved in incest. Because Christians liked talking about eating what they called someone else's human body, and drinking what they called someone else's human blood. People thought Christians were cannibals. And because Christians regularly gathered together behind closed doors, Christianity was illegal in those days, because they gathered together behind closed doors, men and women, children and adults, for what those Christians called their weekly love feast. People accused Christians of being Well, I'll leave that one to your imagination. All of those accusations against Christians were based on false understandings of the Christian faith, and none of those are the reasons why Peter called these Christians exiles. Instead, he gives us the reason for that in these verses. Peter says to these Christians, you are a chosen people. When we're telling other people about ourselves, maybe one of the things we do mention is our last name, the family that we were born into. In fact, that's kind of the one thing about us that we really didn't have a whole lot of say about. Peter says that as Christians, we have been born into a new family with a new name. We have God as our father, and yes, our fellow Christians as our siblings. And in the same way, this isn't something that we chose for ourselves. We are a chosen people. Peter goes on to say, you are a royal priesthood. When we're telling other people about ourselves, sometimes we mention the job that we do, the work that we are involved with, how far we have been able to climb up the corporate ladder to this point in our lives. Peter says that as Christians, we have two very important jobs, two offices that God has given to us. We are both kings and priests. In other words, when it comes to our relationship with God, there's absolutely no one who is over us, no one else who is ruling over us or who is higher up, and second of all, no one who is needed to come between us and God to serve as a a mediator or a priest other than Jesus himself. In other words, when it comes to our Christian faith, we have climbed absolutely as high as one can possibly climb. We have direct and unbridled access to God. Peter goes on to say, You are a holy nation. When people talk about who they are, they might mention that they are a proud citizen of this or that country, a proud citizen of this or that state, a proud supporter of this or that political candidate, even though they probably know full well that that country and that state and that political candidate are far from perfect. Peter says that we are citizens of a nation that is, a holy nation. 
a nation of people before God that is totally and completely perfect, all of whose faults and flaws have been completely washed away in Jesus' blood. Finally, Peter says that you are God's special possession. We don't often tell others about this, but sometimes when we think about who we are, we think in terms of the things that we own. I'm a millionaire. I'm a homeowner. I'm a Chevy guy or a Ford guy or an Apple user or an Android user. I'm a stamp collector, whatever the case might be. Peter says what identifies you as who you are is not what you own, but the fact that you are owned, that you are God's special possession. You are his most valued treasure. I don't know about you, but I hear all of that. And I compare that to the way that people normally think about themselves and talk about themselves in terms of who they are and what makes them who they are. And there's just one word that comes to mind. All of that sounds really, really strange. That's the reason why Peter called these Christians exiles, the reason he calls them strange. And believe it or not, there's a reason for that reason. Paul says that God has done all of this for us so that you may declare the praises of him who has called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. God has enabled you to see the truth about who you are. He has brought you into that light, but there are still plenty of people who are in the darkness who when they think of themselves, think only in terms of their last name, the job that they hold, their strongly held political convictions, or their net worth. And when it comes to bringing those people into the light, God says that we have a role to play. It is our job, our great delight, to declare God's praises. Yes, when people hear the word Christian, they ought to, to, to think the word strange, and that's, that's God's reason why. So what exactly does that look like in the life of a Christian? What exactly does that mean? I think it's real easy for us to have a lot of misconceptions about what that means for us as Christians. It's easy for us to assume, for example, that this is the one area of our life or maybe the first area of our life that absolutely everyone we would ever run into has to know. That if we meet someone new at work, or meet a new friend at school, or meet a new neighbor who's just recently moved in, and if 10 seconds pass by and we haven't already by that point told them that we're a Christian, that somehow we have failed at our jobs. It is real easy, for example, to assume that by making us Christians, God has made us the morality police in our world. That anytime we might see something that isn't quite right, based on what we know about God's word, that it's our job to instantly correct it or call attention to it or distance ourselves from it. It might be also easy for us to assume that any other thing that we might do with our time, all of the other daily activities of our lives, from our job to our family activities to our lives as members of a community, those are kind of just necessary evils to sort of pass the time. And the only thing that is truly of worth and value is the time that we spend sharing the message of Jesus with other people. You take all of those assumptions and you place them alongside the assumption that increasingly in our society, the reaction that people might have to things like that is going to be negative, if not altogether hostile. And it's no wonder that we might temp be tempted to take this strangeness about us and sort of keep it secret, to take that part of our life and keep it hidden. God wants us to declare his praises. No thanks, that's not me. 
I'll let someone else do that. I'm just going to keep my head down and try not to ruffle too many feathers. I'm going to take that strange part of who I am, the fact that I'm a Christian, and I'm just going to keep it hidden. Thankfully, those are not our only two options. After telling us the reason why, when people hear the word Christian, they ought to instantly think the word strange, Peter then goes on to tell us the results of that fact. What does that actually look like in our lives? He says this, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. So Peter has told these Christians that they are exiles. He's also told them why. And now he says to them, since you are an exile, since you, that is who you are, why don't you just go ahead and live that way? And what he mentions specifically in this verse, this concept of abstaining from our sinful desires, is sort of a, a big umbrella that covers over a lot of specifics that he mentions later on in the letter. So what exactly does this look like, that it is part of our job to be people who declare God's praises to the world around us? Peter talks about things like this. He says, what if in a world where the motto so often is, just do what feels good, just do what makes you happy? What if in a world where the advice is to be true to yourself, where that's the greatest good a person can pursue, and the greatest evil would be if someone is told that they can't or shouldn't do that? What if in a world like that, we as Christians would actually evaluate our desires and assess whether or not they are in keeping with God's word, and if not, if they are sinful, that we would actually fight against them instead of giving ourselves over to them? Boy, wouldn't that be strange. Or what if in our world we would be people who would honor and respect all of our governing authorities, no matter who they are, no matter whether we like them or not, no matter whether we voted for them or not? What if we would be people who did not add to the dumpster fire that is political conversation in our world today? What if we were people who didn't instantly vilify anyone who doesn't agree with us on a controversial issue Boy, wouldn't that be strange. What if in our marriages we were people who didn't get around our our girlfriends or our guy friends and instantly start complaining about all the things that our spouse does that we don't like? What if in our dealings with our spouse we would live and act as though our entire reason for existence is for their good, that we would constantly put their needs and wants first instead of our own? Boy, wouldn't that be strange. What if in the workplace we would be good, honest, faithful employees, not just when the boss is good and kind, but when the boss is kind of a jerk too? What if we wouldn't engage in the constant gossip and complaining that so often takes place at the water cooler? What if when we were wronged in our lives, maybe even because we are Christians, what if we perceived as though our rights had somehow been violated and yet we weren't the kind of people who instantly flew off the handle or sought revenge? Wouldn't that be strange too? Peter tells us these these are the results of what happens because God has made you so strange, because you are strange, because you are in exile. That's how you live as someone who is, in fact, strange. And those results, again, have more results. Peter goes on to tell us what will happen. He says, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. 
there is a connection between this strange way that we would live in our world and this job that God has given us of declaring his praises to those who are still in darkness. There is going to come a time when there is an opportunity to speak about God. There's going to come a day when it's just natural for us to share the good news of what we know about Jesus. And Peter tells us that on that day, that's the day when God shows up. When we are sharing the gospel with someone else, God is there at work to try and win one more person for his very own. And yet because so often people are so used to living in the darkness, very often that good news, that bright and brilliant light can actually sort of hurt their eyes, can cause them to turn away. As I mentioned with the kids, if you've been in the darkness for a long, long time, if you've been sleeping all night, you don't suddenly, instantly turn on all of the lights at once. Instead, at first, you need just a little bit of light. Something that helps your eyes start to adjust. Something that reminds you that even though you maybe could figure out a way to function and grope about in the darkness, living in the light is so much better. Peter says that's exactly what can happen as we live out these strange lives in the world as the strangers that God has made us. That will often give us an opportunity to speak that brilliant and bright light of the gospel. And in fact, there's even a connection between that strange life that we're living and the results that we want to see that this person would join us in believing the good news and glorifying our Father in heaven. Friends, you and I may be strange, but we are living surrounded by people who are absolutely immersed in what we might call normal. In fact, many of whom have grown really worn out and really frustrated by that normal. And the good news of the gospel in a lot of cases is a light that is so bright and so brilliant to them that their immediate reaction might be to turn away. And so what does God do? He first provides just a little bit of light in the life of a Christian. Light that enables them to get a glimpse of what life in the light is really all about. All by itself, that light is not enough to open their eyes and get them to see the truth about Jesus. Only the gospel can do that. But it gives them a glimpse of what life in the light is like and leaves them perhaps even wanting more. Peter says that's what can happen. Those can be the results when people who are strange live strangely, when people who are exiles live as exiles. That very thing is what gives us the opportunity to then share the light and is part of what causes God and leads God to do what he does best, which is to bring people to see the light and glorify our Father in heaven. So yes, when people hear the word Christian, maybe more than anything else, there's one word that we want to pop into their heads, and that's the word strange but that's not a bad thing at all. In fact, that's the best thing because being strange is exactly what the people around us need us to be. Amen.